Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Our senior pastor, Bruce Hess, is away this weekend. He is with his wife, Janet, speaking with Family Life Marriage Conferences in uh, the, the Poconos. Um, when I heard that, I wasn't sure, is that an island or a mountain range? It's actually in uh, like upstate Pennsylvania, but they're speaking there this weekend. And uh, then two weeks from now, Bruce and Janet's son, Kyle, is getting married. So because of, because of that, um, we're taking advantage of this kind of three-week window, and I'm going to be leading us through a series over the next three weeks on um, really on, on, on the temple, on the modern-day temple. Uh, that God has created and he's invited all of us to be a part of. Now, now when, when you hear that, that might not sound like the most relevant topic of conversation, uh, but it really has a lot of significance for us and for our lives. As a matter of fact, if you look over the history of, of God's dealing with his people, uh, the temple has been a vital part of that from the very beginning. You know, when God called his nation out of Egypt, um, of Israel, he was with them in the tabernacle, and that moved from location to location in tents with them until they finally settled in the land of Israel. And when they finally got Jerusalem, God had Solomon build him a temple, and the nation of Israel worshipped there in, in the temple in Jerusalem that Solomon built for about 500 years until the Babylonians tore it down. A few years later, the Jewish people rebuilt that temple under Zerubbabel and what's recorded for us in the book of Ezra, they rebuilt that temple, and that temple existed all the way up uh, through the time of Christ. Uh, But the temple that Christ saw was even slightly larger than the temple that Zerubbabel rebuilt. The temple that Christ saw was an incredibly impressive structure that Herod the Great, uh, just one generation before Christ had started, and, and had built this incredible edifice that was the temple. It was five football fields long by three football fields deep by the Vista building tall. You know, the building in downtown Norman that was going to fall over a couple years ago, that nine stories tall, that's how tall the temple was. And it was 500 feet by 300 feet by nine stories tall. This was an awesome, awesome building. And you know, it's one of those places that you read about in history and you're like, I would love to have gone and seen this building. Some of the stones that comprised the temple were 600 tons, enormous, enormous structure that was sitting there. Uh, and, you know, I would have wanted to see it because it was, it was an awesome thing to behold. But the, the awesome part about the temple was not just that it was an impressive building, but it was what it represented and what went on inside of it. See, the temple was the place where God's presence was symbolically there with his people above the the holy of holies, and that that very spot in the inner core of the temple was God's presence with his people. His Holy Spirit resided there. The sacrifices that were made continually of of sheep and of, of animals that were sacrificed were sacrificed right there because that was God's presence with his people. And you know, if you had been there at the time of Christ and seen this expanded temple that Herod built, you would have thought something to the effect of, that building is never going anywhere. It was so large, it was so impressive, it was so uh, right in the middle of things, so important to the life of the people that you might have thought that building is never going anywhere. But in reality, just 30-some years after the death of Christ, that building would be 
flattened to the ground. And so the question is, if the building that God had constructed there, the, the building that, that, that Herod had expanded there, if that building was destroyed in 70 AD, then where is the temple of God today? And what we see in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, is that there is a modern-day temple. But it's not necessarily a temple built with stones and mortar but it's a temple comprised of the people of God. And that makes it mobile. And that makes us rolling stones in God's mobile home. And over the next three weeks, we're going to look at uh, some of the key passages in the New Testament on what it means to be a part of God's temple. And we're going to see that this week, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Next week, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2. And then two weeks from now, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And in each of those three passages, we're going to understand a little more of the significance of what it means that we are a part of the temple of God today. This morning, though, we're going to look at the first installment of that from 1 Peter chapter 2. But before we get there, let me, let me pray again for us. Father, I pray that you would just protect me this morning. I pray that you would guide me to say the things that you once said, but... If I say something you wouldn't want said, I pray that it would quickly be forgotten. But Father, the words that I share today that you would want us to hear, I pray that you would help us to remember them, to believe them, and to walk forward in them in the power of your Spirit, that we might be shaped more into the image of your Son. We need your Spirit to teach us now, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Christmas this year at the Robinson household was, was pretty interesting. Uh, that's because our son was almost three this year for Christmas. That means that this is the first year that he was as interested in what was in the box as he was in the packaging, right? So because of that, we were pretty excited about uh, buying him some Christmas presents. And so Kimberly and I were trying to decide what to get him, and we realized that he loves the movie Cars, you know, the Disney Pixar movie? He loves that movie, Cars. And so we thought, what if we found him some toys that, that were, you know, related to the movie Cars? And so we went to, like, TJ Maxx and Ross. We found these Lego sets that looked a lot like scenes from the movie Cars. And we were really excited about it. And so we actually, we actually got him some for Christmas this past year. And, and ever since we got him that for Christmas, you know, life has been interesting for me and for him because every night we have this little ritual. I come home and, and I get to play. And, and I put together uh, this beautiful, these beautiful little scenes and, um, you know, I set it, set it all together here and you know, there's all these parts and uh, it's exciting. And, and you know, I, I get to play with my son and play with Legos at the same time, which is a major bonus for all men. And, you know, there, there it is. You, you put all this together and every night when I would go to bed, everything would be perfectly put together. Uh, but you know what would happen between night and the next night when I would come home and see him again was that Josh would have had a different idea of how to play with these toys. My idea was to put them together. His idea was to flatten them. And, and this is what he would do with, with all the toys. So I would come home, and, and they would all be scattered about like this. And I would think, what in the world are you doing, son? We, we built this beautiful structure, and you just, just flattened it. Um, and before you think, you know, there's a lot of reasons for why I might have I've thought that. I have my own set of issues, you know. I'm kind of the Earl Woods of Legos, I guess. But um, if you wonder why it is that, that I was so 
uh, upset about that. I mean, you know, I'm not really that upset, but, but at times I would be a little frustrated because I knew how beautiful it could be all put together. And so I wanted it to be constructed together, whereas he wanted it to be scattered about. And, you know, it's, it's interesting when you, you think about that, why I tell you that story today is because in the, the Christian life, many times we forget how beautiful we can be when we're all stacked together. We forget the beautiful purpose and integrity and, and mission and ministry and all those things that can happen when we stack together. See, God has redeemed each of us, and many times, you know, we, we're all redeemed like individual blocks, but we forget as this redeemed block how awesome it can be when we allow God to stack us together into the church. And this morning, what we're going to look at is we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that talks a lot about the awesome beauty that comes when God's people gather together. Um, and we're going to see that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10, as we look at our, our first part of our Rolling Stone series talking about God's home and community. And so it's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. And so if you've got a Bible, you might open there. We're going to take a look at that. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says this. It says, And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, in, in these verses, we see something about God's presence in the community. And we're going to see two things today. Uh, the first thing that we're going to see is in verses 4 to 8, and that is that, that God is building us into his spiritual house. He is building us into his spiritual house. Now, we're going to see that in those first four verses of this section, but before we do that, it's helpful for us to understand a little bit about the context of the book of 1 Peter. See, 1 Peter was a letter written by Peter to a bunch of small and scattered and struggling churches throughout what is modern-day Turkey. It was called Asia at that time, that, that, little, that little region there that is modern-day Turkey was called Asia, but they, these, there were Believers scattered across that area. They were a minority. There were not very many of them. They felt fairly insignificant, and they were persecuted because of their faith. You can imagine if they had done a census at that time, and they would have had to fill out the little bubbles 
next to religion. They couldn't have, have filled in the bubble for Christian because it was so small it wasn't even on the census in that area, right? They had to fill in next to other. That was what their beliefs were. That's how, that's how small they were. They felt rather insignificant. And because of their small uh, numbers in their faith and because of their feelings of insignificance, uh, th- th- that was fueled by several things. And one of the things it was fueled by was that believers at that time did not have a temple to call their own. See, in, in the ancient world, all of the other religions had temples that they could point to. The, the pagan religions had impressive temples in, in places like Ephesus. These, these unbelievable temples were built to these pagan gods. Even the Jewish people at this time still had the temple that resided in Jerusalem. Herod the Great's expansion on Zerubbabel's temple that we talked about earlier. The Jewish people could point to that temple. But the Christians had no temple. They had no place to call their own. They had no local church building that they could retreat to. And because of that, they felt rather insignificant. And so Peter writes to them to encourage them that, in fact, there is a a temple that God is building that they are a part of. There's a spiritual house that they get to experience on a regular daily basis, and they should draw great encouragement from that. And that was true for the people in Peter's day. It's also, for the true, it's also true for us today as well. God is building a spiritual house, and he's including us in it. His temple is among us. And we see that as he begins the story. He says in verse 4, he says, In coming to him, that is coming to Jesus, as to a living stone calls Jesus a a living stone, one that has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. See, the stones that made up the temple that Herod had expanded on, those stones were 600 tons. They were not living. They were never alive. They were dead, but they were big and they were massive. But Peter reminds the believers across Asia, he reminds us today that we're a part of a temple that is not dead in stone, but a temple that is living and alive. And our foundation is not 600 ton stones, but our foundation is a a cornerstone that is Jesus Christ himself, a living stone rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. See, the church is founded on the foundation of, of Jesus Christ. He is our cornerstone. Just a, a, a side point, you know, Peter is the one that wrote this. We all are familiar with the passage where, where Jesus says to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. And many times we look at that and we say, certainly, that's saying that the, the foundation of the church is Peter. Not even close. Peter himself understood the cornerstone of the church to be the rock, the living stone, the cornerstone, Jesus himself. See, Jesus was the foundation on which the church would be built. But there's something really special about this spiritual house that Jesus is building. He says in verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a royal priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, the house that Jesus is building is a house made up of you and me. Just as he is a living stone, we are living stones being added onto his foundation that becomes the dwelling place of the presence of God in this world. For people to see the full impact of God's spirit and his dwelling and his power, 
This passage tells us, don't go see a building made of stones, but go see a living building everywhere believers are gathered in the name of Christ. See, it's a living stone kind of a building. It's called here a spiritual house. Now, you know, we see that and we say, well, that doesn't sound like a temple. But when you realize that the most common name for the temple in the Old Testament in Hebrew was the sanctified house. It was the only thing that was called that, the sanctified house or the spiritual house. Peter is clearly getting at the idea that this spiritual house, the place where sacrifices acceptable to God are offered, that only occurred in the temple, the sanctified house. This is talking about a new temple that Jesus is constructing. And it's not made of 600-pound immovable stones, but it's made of living stones, rolling stones, Stacked together, you and I, the place where God's presence is seen and felt in the world. He underlines the fact that this living building, this new temple, is only made up of believers when he goes through in in verse 7 and he says that the precious value then is for you who believe. And furthermore, those who don't believe are disobedient in verse 8 to the word, and their doom has been appointed for them. In other words, the place in this world where God's presence is most seen and felt is in gatherings of believers of Jesus Christ. That's the spot. Now, when, when you hear that, uh, you, you may have maybe very familiar with that passage, and you may have, have, have heard it preached before, you may have studied it in a Bible study, you may have read it in Scripture, but, but have you ever stopped to think, what does that really mean for us? What does it mean for us to hear that God's temple, His dwelling today, His house, is made up of living stones that are you and I? Well, I think one thing it means is it puts a high emphasis on community. I think it's really interesting that He doesn't call every believer their own individual temple here. We're going to get to a passage in a couple of weeks that talks more about every believer's body is a temple unto the Holy Spirit. That's not the point of 1 Peter 2. The point of 1 Peter 2 is not that everybody is an island unto themselves with everything they would ever need. The point is that every believer is a stone that when stacked together makes the temple of God today. We need each other because the full beauty of the structure that God has to display within the world can only happen when we gather together, not when we're scattered apart. And we got this building that's going up out back, this children's building, and there's all kinds of, of stone and steel and everything else that showed up out there. And when it's laying on the ground, it's not all that impressive. But when it gets tacked together, its purpose becomes manifest. We see it, we go, wow, that's a building. It's not a bunch of rocks, it's a building. And the similar thing happens with believers. This passage is indicating that when we gather together in a special way, our purpose is shown to the world. People can see. Our, everything about our experience as Christians is enhanced because of each other. Our study of the Word is enhanced because of each other. Yes, I can read this Bible on my own and the Spirit of God resides within me and there are things that I can get out of that. But when I read it with other believers and I interact with them, my depth of understanding increases because the stones are being stacked together. Yes, I can sit at home and listen to Christian music on the, on the radio or on my iPod and sing along, but there's something enhanced when we sing the song together on Sunday mornings in this room. 
Yes, I can have uh, gifts and I can think about employing them you know, in my family, but when the, when the believing community comes together, those gifts are even more manifest. Our, our beauty, our purpose, the grandeur of what God is doing in the world is enhanced as the stones are stacked together. This is a passage indicating community. And you know, one of the things about that is it's, it's really somewhat counter to us as Protestant Americans. You see, as Protestant Americans, we, we want to think of our spiritual lives as our own. We're, we're all our own independent contractor. You know, one of the things that came out of the, uh, the Reformation that was a, a wonderful thing was an emphasis on every person's individual uh, relationship with Christ, that every person needs to individually receive the, the offer of Christ's death on the cross for their sins themselves. And, and that's absolutely true, and it's a wonderful emphasis that was brought back to the church through the Reformation. But one of the, the, the downsides about that, that way of thinking in the Reformation was that, that we can begin to think that our spiritual life is all our own as well. In other words, it's about me personally receiving this, and then it's about me doing everything in the Christian life all by myself. That's a dangerous way of thinking. That's a counter to a living stone, new temple way of thinking. See, the reality is that God has created us with a need for one another. As Americans, we love the idea of do it yourself. We want to go to the store and get everything we need and go home and build it ourselves, whether it's Home Depot, it's Lowe's, it's Walmart, whatever it is. We want to go get it, come home, and do it ourselves. And if we're not careful, we can begin to view the church like a spiritual Walmart a spiritual Home Depot. I come here and I, I get the stuff I need and then I go home and I, and I build it myself. There's part of that that is absolutely true. We do need to apply these truths, not just when we're together. But if we carry that too far, we begin to think that the whole point of the church is just to, to give me the how-tos for my week. And that's nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. When we gather There is a special presence of God when believers gather together. The stones are stacked, and there are things that we get out of that. There are things the world sees out of that that are impossible to see if we are just at home alone. I can get online, and I can listen to a podcast of today's message tomorrow. I I can listen to music, and I can... I can, I can sing along at home, and sometimes we begin to think that because those things are accessible to us, that it's not all that important to gather with the people of God. But you know what? It's more than just how-tos. It's more than just give me what I need so I can do what I do. We're a part of a living temple. The presence of God in Norman, Oklahoma is found when believers gather, not just in this room, but all over town. As believers gather, the presence of God is seen. You know, if, 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 this, if it's that important to God that he would make us as stones that are meant to stack together, doesn't it stand to reason that one of the applications of this for us is that we should take serious the opportunities we have to worship with the people of God, to study with the people of God, to interact with the people of God. It's important to him. Is it important to us? That's one of the things I I think we need to see from this passage, that he is building up a spiritual house. But the second thing that we need to see uh, is found in verses 9 and 10. 
In these verses, we see that he is blessing us for his special purpose. He's blessing us for his special purpose. Uh, You see in those two verses that there are a number of blessings that relate to the people of God that are mentioned there. He says that you are a chosen race. Think think about this. If, If you have trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then these words apply to you. It says you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's an incredible set of blessings that God mentions uh, about us, his people, as a part of uh, his spiritual house. And, you know, if you look closely at those and and you're you're literate with the Old Testament, you you recognize that a number of these things are phrases that were used to describe the nation of Israel. When he calls them a chosen race, that was the nation of Israel. In the Old Covenant, the Old Testament times, God's people were all of one race. Uh, More or less, they were all Jewish people. Uh, They were all members of, within the nation of Israel, there was a royal priesthood. There were, there were some within the nation of Israel that were priests, that were intermediaries between God and man. They were a holy nation. It was the nation of Israel that was to show the world what the holiness of God was all about. They were a people for God's own possession. God had purchased them when he carried them through the Red Sea. He purchased them out of slavery. They were his people, and they were his people who had received mercy. See, this, these, these were all things that were used to describe the nation of Israel. And so when you first see them here, you might think, well, is this only talking about uh, Jewish people today? Are only Jewish Christians a part of this new temple that, that God is building? Uh, the answer to that is, is no. And the reason for that is, is manyfold. First of all, the book of 1 Peter was not a book written to Jewish converts. It was a book that was written to mostly Gentile converts in this region. And so when he calls them living stones in the temple, he's not taking as a, a, a way of thought that they were already uh, Jewish, Jewish people to begin with. These were Gentile converts. Uh, we, that's further underscored in, in verse 10, because he says of them, they once were not a people, but now they are the people of God. The Jewish people were the people of God from old. If he was talking to Jewish people, he would have said, you've always been the people of God. But here, he says, you once were not a people. So this is not a passage that is directed only to Jewish Christians. It's it's directed to all people who have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. All of us now have these incredible blessings. It says that we are a chosen race. What's amazing about that is that it's not a race only with one skin tone one language dialect. The chosen race now is all of those that have been given a new life in the Holy, with the Holy Spirit through the forgiveness of our sins in Christ. There's a royal priesthood. In the Old Testament, there was only a certain number of people who served as priests. But today, this royal priesthood applies to all of us. None of us need an intermediary other than Christ himself to have direct access to God. We are a, a, a kingdom of priests. In the Old Testament, we would have gone through someone else. Now we have direct access to God. A holy nation, but not a nation with only one flag. 
a nation with many flags over the top, as we're a part of the people of God. We've been purchased as his own possession through the work of Christ on the cross. We've received mercy from him. See, we have been blessed richly by God as he has made us a part of his temple. But, but the question is, why have we been blessed so richly? There's an indication in this passage that he has blessed us with a special purpose in mind, and that purpose is that we would be a blessing to others. Look at what it says in verse 10. It says, for once you were not a people, uh, I'm sorry, at the end of, uh, the end of verse 9, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. See, he has blessed us so richly so that we might be able to share with others the opportunity for them to be blessed richly as well, and so that God might receive all glory. And you know, it's interesting that this whole section, that the, both of those verses, verse 9 and verse 10, are talking about not individuals, but talking about groups of people. You know, a nation is not a nation of one. There's many people in it. People, not person. The idea here is that this call to proclaim the excellencies of God to all people is not just an individual call. It's something that goes to the whole church. And there's a special way when all of the believers are gathered together that the excellencies of God are proclaimed more clearly to those around us. You know, you think about some examples of what that actually looks like. You know, I think a lot of times we think that if we're going to have an impact for Christ among those who don't know Him who live around us, we think that that all must be our responsibility. We have to be the one to say the right things. We have to be the one to demonstrate the right kind of behavior. It's all up to us. And there is certainly a sense where God will use you on your own in different contexts and situations to share His truth and to live it out among those who don't know Him. But it's amazing also the power of believers gathered together living out God's truth and the impact that has on unbelievers. Some of you know Christy Liggett. She's someone that Wildwood supports in in ministry, and, and Kimberly and I have known Christy for a long time, but Christy's testimony is so fascinating to me because it speaks of the power of the testimony of the community of God's people. Christy came to college and didn't know anything about uh, Christ and was not a believer, but she knew a lot of Christians in the dorms, and she saw the way that they interacted with one another. She saw the fact that they took God's truth seriously. She saw the fact that they asked good questions, and they sought to find answers to those questions. She saw how they prayed for each other when when things were going wrong and how they encouraged one another in times of difficulty. And she eventually went to a conference where she saw where everybody in the conference was aware of the fact that there are people in the world that didn't know Christ and they had a plan for how to reach them. See, it wasn't any individual that had this incredible influence on Christy, but it was God working through the testimony of the community of believers that eventually had the impact of leading her to Christ. There's power when the stones stack together. I've heard a, a te- similar testimony about someone's experience at Wildwood. In the early days of Wildwood, they, they, they came to Wildwood and they were most impressed very early on by the fact that people actually carried a Bible in here. And when they, they didn't just carry it in, but they opened it up. It wasn't like the, only the pastor had a Bible. Everybody had a Bible. And when it came time to read the Scripture, everybody opened it up. And it was like, wow, these, these folks take this thing seriously. I wonder, there must be something significant about what's held inside this book that everyone is reading. It was a power of the impact of community. 
You know, when you think about your testimony among those that you live around, think about the cumulative impact of sharing Christ among community. Well, what are some of the ways that we can do that? Well, one of the ways that it can be done is by incorporating um, those that don't know Christ into some kind of small group experience. I, I know uh, some people here at Wildwood that have had, had a small group for a while with people in their neighborhood, and they included both believers and unbelievers in their community, and they talked about the issues that were relevant to them, and they were able to share Christ with them over time. And, and it was a great example of, in a community, sharing Christ. As the stones were stacked, people heard of the excellencies of God. The same thing can be happen even on a less programmed level, uh, for you, you know, if you're like me, it's, it's real easy to try to segment uh, your friend groups. Now, I've got my, my church friends, and I've got my friends from college, and I've got my, my friends in, in, from the health club, and I've got my friends from over here, and, and I, you know, no, those groups never mix. When I think of ministry, I think of, you know, I, I've got to go in here, and I've got to have this influence right here all by myself. What happens if you take some people from this group and you invite them to have dinner with some of your friends from this group and collectively there's power in the testimony of the community? Kurt's example of having dinner and praying before the meal with some of his teammates and some of the community is a great example of that. We have the opportunity to share Christ in community with others. Um, you know, it, it could also look like just uh, in in. Recently, Kimberly was in the hospital for a while, and, and many of you know that. But one of the primary ways we kept people up to date on what was going on with her was through Facebook. And I, I had a number of friends comment about how blown away they were by the response that they saw by people's comments back to my posts about her condition. People would respond with, you know, we're praying for you, we're caring for you, is there anything we can do, all this stuff. And, and I, I have friends that don't know Christ um, that were commenting about how they were so impressed by the level of care and concern that believers had for one another. And it spoke well of Wildwood, and it spoke well of, of Christ. But you know, there's, there's, there's an impact in sharing Christ amidst community. See, a lot of times we think of the Christian life, and we think of it as we're all these individual stones, but you know that the reality is that God has not just blessed us and kept us separate, but that God has, has blessed us and saved us and He places us together in His new temple. You know, I began by tearing apart that display, so I'm going to end by showing you another one. Um, this is actually my favorite one. Um, I love playing with this uh, and putting it together, but this is uh, Luigi's Casa della Tires. Um, it's got a, a working garage door um, right there. And, uh, you know, this is, a, this is beautiful when the stones stack together. It's purposeful. You can understand why all the parts are there when they're placed together. It's hard to make sense out of pieces that are scattered about at times. But when they stack together, their purpose becomes clear. The beauty becomes evident. The excellencies of him who calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light are shown. I don't know what your thought process is on the level of community that God has called us to. But there's something special about gathering together. And the reason why it's special 
is because we are the temple of God today. A mobile home reflecting God's glory to the world. Well, let, me, let me pray for us. Father, I, I thank you for the time that you've given us today. I thank you for your word and for your truth. Thank you for gathering us together and blessing us so that we might be able to worship you more clearly, to, to understand your word uh, more richly, and to share your excellencies with others in a way that, that draws them into a relationship with you. Father, you have not set us up as individual, independent contractors, but you have placed us inside of the new temple as living stones for the purpose that you've called us to in Christ. We thank you, and we pray that you would help us to live each day this week as people who understand that you have called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. In Jesus' name.